Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's UK reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. Zofia, how's it going? Yeah, very good. Lovely to be on again. Yeah, good to have you. Um, we've got a couple of fun things to talk about today, several of which are kind of in your wheelhouse, Sophia. So we're going to talk about uh, COP27, the the UN climate conference that happens every year. It happened in Cairo. I think it's over at this point, right? Uh, still going on, I think. They're it's still like going? the second okay. week. Okay, so we are still in the midst of it as of the time of recording. Then we're going to talk about Nike's new big Web3 platform that's called Dot Swoosh um, that they announced this week. And then finally, we're going to talk about um, holiday sales forecasts at some of the retailers, especially in the U.S. and Europe, where there are some not-so-optimistic forecasts and what the different retailers are are saying about that. But um, let's start with COP27. So like I said, that's going on right now. There's a lot of um, fashion presence there, uh, both individual brands and also big kind of fashion organizations like the Global Fashion Agenda. A lot of really important stuff came out of this conference. Um, Some of it is positive and some of it is not so positive. The biggest thing is that we're just sort of not on track at all to to meet the emission reduction goals from the Paris Agreement. Um, Carbon emissions are still going up in a lot of places when they really should be going down. That's like kind of the big thing. Um, That's kind of hard to get around even with all the you know, the nice announcements of we're going to use alternative fibers and we're going to do this. It's all great, but it's kind of like the main thing is we're just not on track, which is not good. I want to hear your thoughts, Sophia, but a quick uh, aside is that I talked to um, Amanda Parks, who's the chief innovation officer of Pangaea, which is a brand that does a lot of work with like materials and emissions and stuff. Um, And I talked to her from Cairo. Um, I, I think I wrote this in our in the glossy weekend briefing last week, but um, she was there and and she told me basically like the number one thing that all fashion brands and and all everyone needs to be thinking about is just like no more fossil fuels, like just eliminating them in every way possible. All the other stuff using you know recycled plastic water bottles for clothing, like all that stuff is well and good, but like emissions down, no fossil fuels is like the number one thing we've got to be working towards. So anyway, um, I've got other thoughts, but let me pass it over to you, Zofia. What what are your thoughts on some of the stuff that came out of COP27, especially for fashion? Yeah, definitely. So I think the most important thing that came out of it, you know, in terms of brand action um, was the the kind of handful of brands like H&M, um, Inditex and Kering, who vowed to purchase over half a million tons of low carbon, low footprint alternative fibers. Um, so it's basically acting as a source for um, textiles that they're going to be producing in the future. And I think there's been some other interesting announcements too in terms of kind of carbon emissions and offsets. I think a lot of the time right now, there's conversations around high quality offsets rather than offsets in general um, so that brands are actually looking at what kind of offsets they're purchasing. Um, Essentially, like they should be doing everything they can to reduce the carbon emissions in their supply chain. Um, But obviously, like if they have to offset it, then that is something that they should be looking at from a high quality perspective rather than, um, you know, doing these kind of more general ones because a lot of them have come into light in recent months as being quite ineffective. Um, And I think that 
essentially they, they're just passing off the problem instead of kind of focusing on solutions. I think one of the main brands who is doing really well on that point is Gani, um, who's from Copenhagen, have been really focused on putting sustainability first across their whole supply chain and making sure that that's, um, you know, a priority for the brand. Um, so I think more brands should be following in those footsteps. In terms of kind of bigger carbon emissions things, I think a lot of brands are still having a lot of trouble around, you know, tracking, tracing um, their supply chain, where those emissions are coming from. Um, I was just actually talking to someone today about um, how carbon emissions, uh, I'm, I'm not even sure if they even counted when it comes to returns and how that whole process is completely different to the way that items are supplied to customers. Um, you know, in that first stage, like, a lot of the trucks that are used for um, the returns process are actually not electric. Like there's this whole kind of gaping hole um, when it comes to returns. And I think it makes a lot of sense right now for brands to be focusing on, you know, producing high quality garments that prioritize longevity um, and maybe even looking at, you know, different systems like made to order um, or something so that that number of items that are overproduced is like limited to the absolute maximum but obviously cop 27 is much bigger than fashion um so there's a lot there that you know addresses um kind of the multiple stakeholders and nations and how they're all being addressed i think the main thing going into cop um was around how um you know kind of more uh, financially kind of able countries are able to help um, those who have been most affected um, by, you know, pollution and climate change um, through, you know, basically offering financial aid and even compensation for the damage they've done over the years. I'm not sure how in-depth that conversation has gone into, um, you know, over the last week and a half um, in Egypt. But I'm hoping that there's going to be something better come out of it. I'm always a little bit disappointed by everything that comes out of COP um, just because it, it just doesn't seem like it's ever enough. But it is one of the biggest events, you know, when it comes to climate change. And the results this year especially are very uh, somber. Yeah, it's it's always a combination, I think, of um, that, like, 70% daunting and 30% inspiring because it's <laughs> it's sort of like when you've got a ton of stuff to do and you write out a to-do list and you see it all laid out. And on the one hand, it's like seeing all the stuff you have to do is very intimidating, but also writing it out and like laying it out kind of is, makes it feel a little more doable. That's how I feel mm. sometimes with, with things like this. It's like, you know, we have these, we need to do these specific actions to, you know, reduce our emissions and meet this, you know, limit of warming. Um, and we need to do it by these dates. And it's sort of like, wow, it's good that there's a concrete like plan of action that we could follow. And then yeah. the downside is nobody's following it. Like we're just, <laughs> we're not doing this. I talk to, we both talk to fashion brands all the time. No, no fashion brand that I've ever spoken to has ever been like, oh yeah, sustainability, we don't care about that. The environment, no, we don't care. They, they all, every single one of them says, sustainability is important to us. It's one of our core values. We want, you know, they, they talk about it a lot. And then every year you can, you can look it up and see Nike's emissions are higher this year than last year and, or, and, or they're projected to be higher next year, I think, than this year. Like it's, and, and same for Caring or Inditex and, and Zara and stuff, H&M, all these brands, like they like to talk about the stuff, but then you look at the actual numbers, they're just like not backing it up. Um, and, and I, think sometimes maybe that's the person I'm talking to who's maybe their like 
head of sustainability or something would like it. It's a core value to them individually, and they would like it to be a core value to the company. But, you know, in practice, it's it's not. They're not following, they, you know, they're not backing up those claims. They're still increasing their emissions. They're using more fossil fuels. And it's just, I don't know, that that to me is very disheartening. And there's a lot of cool, positive stuff being done at smaller independent brands. And that's great. There's so, there are so many of them who I feel actually do care about what they're saying and actually do back it up. But when you've got a company like Inditex, that's like a giant, you know, gigantic multi-billion dollar business, that impact is just so much greater than these smaller brands. And they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That just like kind of overwhelms any positive stuff happening among the like mid-size and smaller brands. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, a lot of the brands right now are thinking about what they can do, but essentially a lot of this is, you know, it's retrofitting existing systems that were not built with sustainability in mind. Um, And I think that, you know, especially when it comes to emissions, like you're talking about scope three, so manufacturing, um, and kind of what the emissions are that go into that, like all of the different, you know, tie-ins. I think fashion is also really tough because it's one of the most kind of complex supply chains um, that's out there. You've got a lot of multiple, um, you know, elements in every design process. Like I'm pretty sure every like t-shirt or um, dress or like jeans, like each of those goes through like 10 or 20 steps just to get to the customer, um, you know, even through manufacturing. So I think it's just something that needs to be worked on. Um, And I was, you know, talking to someone for um, Glossy 50 um, at Puma, who's head of sourcing. And I really feel that sourcing and the attention on sourcing is going to be a big theme for next year. Um, And I think that more brands will be focusing their attention there because otherwise they won't be able to comply with the, you know, legislation that's going to come down like a hammer, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, next year. Yeah, and and to your last point about legislation, I, I just want to say I think when a when a big company like makes a voluntary um, commitment or goal or pledge or something, that's all well and good. But there, if there's no like actual consequences to not meeting it, if they can sort of just like bury it on their site or whatever, it's you know, it gets forgotten, then it's not really doing anything. And so I think it's really, you know, regulation and like actual, you know, legally binding commitments are so much more valuable in my mind, because there are consequences to not meeting them. And I kind of feel like with COP, it's like every year, it's like, oh, we made these goals last year, and we kind of just didn't hit them. And sorry, you know, and there's no, and there's like no consequences. So yeah, um, definitely looking forward to more legislation in, in the EU, hopefully in the US. Um, speaking of regulation, let's move over to talking about Nike. Um, so <laughs> obviously Nike, they purchased that company Artifact, who um, Zofia, you know well, uh, is a sort of, they're a, a crypto, like digital fashion, whatever you want to call it, kind of company. Um, a while, that, that last year, I think they bought them. Um, but this year and this week, Nike announced a new sort of Web3 um, platform that's called Dot Swoosh, um, which will be sort of their hub for NFTs, digital fashion, all, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, gonna, it's aimed at like Web3 curious people, whereas Artifact is kind of more for people who already are in this space and like know what it is and everything. Dot Swoosh is going to, you know, help people set up their wallet and uh, kind of ease them into the idea of like, crypto metaverse um, web three 
stuff. Okay, Sophia, this is your area of expertise. Um, give me your give me your take on dot swoosh and all that, and then we can get into it. Yeah. So actually, I was I was talking to someone who does um, a tech for Gucci Garden, which is one of the bigger um, kind of Web three or Metaverse projects that came out, you know, two years ago. Um, and they were just saying to me that, you know, this is a real big thing and that, you know, Nike's dot swoosh is something to look out for as the next big Web3 platform that, you know, could be adopted as well in terms of like a system or how it works by, you know, other brands, including luxury. So I think this is something that, you know, a lot of people should pay attention to. Um, Nike has made some very kind of strategic moves in the Web3 space, um, mostly aided by companies like Artifact who are very kind of native to that. But I think that, you know, the big question now is around education and they're going to be um, doing this kind of like citywide tour um, with Dot Swoosh. Um, they'll be looking at um, educating customers because I think the one thing that has really emerged and especially, you know, as crypto crashes and the move from like NFTs is going um, away from that and more towards like digital collectibles and kind of the kind of luxury language um, that maybe feels a little bit less foreign to traditional customers. I think there's a whole big thing right now around Web 2.5, which is essentially transitioning all of those people who are used to the internet and social media and kind of how that works into this new Web3 universe and the people who do that successfully um, and especially brands because obviously people follow brands. You know, Apple was very instrumental in that. Instagram is very instrumental in creating um, Web 2.0. I think that, you know, the brands that are looking at Web 3.0 and making it something that their customers adopt and can do easily, um, that's going to be kind of where the, where the money lies. Um, and I think that with Nike, you know, it's it's got the resources, it has great people, um, you know, Artifact is a great partner for them in that space. Um, and I'm sure that they're going to be expanding their team and working with partners to make sure that that, you know, either Dot Swoosh or whatever else they have coming in terms of collaborations or new drops, that's going to be aimed at those people who are still, you know, unsure about Web3 but interested in, you know, the way that the creator economy will function in that space or interested in, you know, exclusive drops or sneakers. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's a really interesting project. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, if anybody can do something like this successfully and get a bunch of people involved, it's probably Nike because they're mm. huge, <laughs> right? And also they they kind of dominate the the sneaker and streetwear space and i feel like there's a huge overlap between that the, that world and the crypto web3 world um you you kind of alluded to this but i i definitely think it's interesting timing to launch this big platform literally right after the big ftx like crash <laughs> and you know yeah. nft hype has died down a lot and the i feel like the optics of it are just like you know, the Super Bowl, I think, is not going to have nearly as many crypto ads as it did last year. Um, it feels like that. Uh, obviously, it's not gone away or anything. But from my perspective, it feels like some of the craze has sort of calmed down. And also, there's been these big high profile um, crashes and implosions. Um, FTX is the latest, but there's also like Ether is a big one that's not doing super well right now. There, I feel like there's a, you know, you know this better than I do, Sophia, but um, I feel like it's weird weird timing for them do you so two questions do you think that's going to affect like uh the reception of 
a big Web3 platform coming out right as all this crazy stuff is happening in the news? And then two, is this not, are, are NFTs involved in this? Because you mentioned like NFT versus digital collectibles. Are those not the same thing? <laughs> oh, I love this. Um, so much confusion. Um, I mean, typically, obviously, <laughs> crypto just brings that in mind. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. the whole thing with um, FTX is going to affect the market, you know, in terms of crypto, like, even over the last, you know, I think six or seven years, as crypto has kind of come onto um, the front and been part of the bigger kind of financial conversations, there's been highs and lows. Um, And I think this is just, you know, a kind of big mess um, with a lot of companies getting caught up in it. So I think for luxury brands who are looking at Web3, but maybe might be less keen on, you know, engaging in that kind of crypto language, as I said, again, with NFTs, um, with all of these cryptocurrencies, like it might be better for them to kind of focus on what they know um, and do, you know, other things to kind of, again, bring customers in without scaring them. So instead of NFTs, it would be digital collectibles. Um, And I think it makes a lot more sense as well, because most people still don't get what an NFT is. You know, non-fungible tokens isn't exactly a phrase you use every day. Um, and I think that digital collectibles is something that, you know, a lot of them understand, either from gaming or from just looking at things online. It, it's a concept that I think, you know, you can just get like that. Um, and I think that, you know, with crypto, it's still probably going to be a big part of the conversation in the future. But I think at the moment, it's just in the one of those dips and it's further affected by this, you know, this crisis with FTX. So I think that it's going to be, you know, more of a focus is going to be on Web3, um, building these kind of brand worlds um, and thinking about, you know, how to create this platform of the future rather than thinking just about, you know, cryptocurrencies and the financial market. Yeah, so I, I have been um, on the record on this podcast several times as a crypto skeptic and a Web3 <laughs> skeptic. I definitely, like, have have always been sort of, like, a little shady about this whole world. Um, but something, and and I think like reading about the dot swoosh thing, I, I definitely get the sense that they're aware that for a lot of people, like a lot of people are really into Web3, but I think there's also a lot of people who are kind of sketched out by it, especially because of stuff like the FTX crash. And, and they've got, like you said, they've got a couple of things that are sort of meant to ease people's fears. One thing that I thought was interesting um, in the there's a business of fashion article going into some of the details and they mentioned pricing some of the collectibles in dollars like in actual US dollars instead of in cryptocurrency um and so i i'm i'm assuming that means that you do not have to set up like a crypto wallet to buy some like you if you wanted to just buy it with normal american dollars like you could do that um do you know is that the case am i am i understanding that correctly cuz i feel like that's huge to let people do crypto or not I'm not sure. I think that there are different technological solutions that are looking right now at creating a blockchain-backed asset, which is basically a digital collectible on the blockchain, but that wouldn't require crypto. And I think that there's already been some attempts at this. I've seen, you know, a couple of NFTs before um, that, you know, people could just buy with um, regular currency, so like dollars um, or pounds. And I think that that's going to be, you know, a growing trend, but it's still about kind of working out those technical solutions so that those items are still kind of backed um, onto the blockchain without having to be, you know, included in the whole kind of crypto 
mess, let's just say. I was just talking to um, someone at Nike back in August, and I think that, you know, this whole dot swoosh platform back then, um, they were just looking at registering interest. And, you know, judging by the launch today, or I think this week, um, this has just been something that they've been working on for a long time, and they're approaching it from a really kind of easing in perspective. I think they're going to be, you know, seeing what the customer response is, how people are reacting, what the questions are, and then just basically organically going through that, which, you know, is a great way of working with their audience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know for me, um, I'm I'm somewhat interested in the idea of a digital collectible, but I'm really not interested in like setting up a wallet or getting into <laughs> cryptocurrency. Because, you know, I've played various video games where you, you know, I've played Hearthstone, which is like a collectible card game. And you have like digital collectibles. It's, it's, it's not blockchain backed. Like they're only, they only work in that game, but like, that's fun. I spent a couple dollars on that. And I, and I would, again, um, I just, I would love to just spend normal money is, you know, I don't want to set up <laughs> a wallet. I don't want to have to spend Nike coins or whatever. Like, I just want to use normal money. Um, so I, I definitely think that could be an interesting thing if there's more sort of hybrids like that where you where you don't have to, like, you know, enmesh yourself in this very volatile financial world to still enjoy some of, like, the products, like being able to just buy something with normal money that's not going to disappear um, would be pretty cool. Uh but yeah, we'll see. I mean, it definitely seems like it's um, like friendly to or at least aimed at people who, like me who are maybe not as into the whole world or or people who just like are, you know, freaked out by some of like open sea or those kinds of places, which can be a little intimidating. Um, it is a lot. Yeah. I yeah. think that I, I opened my MetaMask wallet. I mean, obviously, you know, being in the tech space, I, I did kind of engage in all of it just to see what it's like. And it is a very volatile space. You do, do end up, you know, most of the time losing some money. Um, and I think that, you know, in general, it's it's something that you would need to understand a lot more. And I think that's where this educational component comes in. And I think that that's why it's so interesting that Nike is kind of making that their focus with Dot Swoosh. Um, and I'm interested to kind of see how that goes, but definitely more interested in Web3 gaming universes and kind of seeing these open plan areas that people can just interact with and engage with, you know, similar to gaming. And I think that's probably why gaming is such an easier thing to understand for regular users than, you know, crypto and the metaverse. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so we we spent a little more time on those two topics, which is totally fine. Let's do just a couple minutes on um, holiday forecasts. So I was looking sort of mainly at the US and Europe. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if this is gonna hold true in other regions, um, but just from like scanning the headlines and stuff this week, it seems like uh, in the US and definitely the UK, maybe in other parts of Western Europe too, uh, a lot of retailers are not super confident that there's gonna be a big holiday bump this year for sales. I mean, I'm sure there will be some because there always is, you know, the most sales are done in the fourth quarter. Um, but uh, so starting in the UK, um, there was a great Reuters article digging into um, a bunch of European retailers who are uh, all kind of bracing for like a little bit of a slump this holiday season. Um, I think they said retail sales in the UK fell by around 6% in September. And the forecasts are that December is going to be like the lowest in the lowest December retail volume sales in like a decade or something. Um yeah, we'll 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 jump over to the US in a in a second, but um Sophia, in what's the what's the vibe like in the UK for like 
holiday stuff right now? Like, what have you seen? Yeah, I think that the, you know, oncoming kind of energy price increase that's been talked about over the last couple of months has been, you know, a real, I would say, real downer um, in the the spend leading up to Christmas. And obviously, I'm not seeing quite as many, you know, discounts and offers um, as usual. I think that, you know, a lot of retailers would typically focus on this around this time just to bring in more people around Christmas. Um, but I think the focus in, at least in London, um, is on, you know, bringing people back into stores and making sure that they have this incredible experience in stores. A lot of department centers are doing especially well just because of that um, kind of interest in, you know, bringing people into experiences. Um, and that's something that you know we've reported on at glossy for a, a good couple of months now is that you know as um people have been kind of coming out of their homes um and kind of moving away from e-commerce and e-commerce to be honest is still going to be a big presence for uk customers when it comes to holiday um and their kind of shopping experience i think a lot of them are looking at you know being back in stores and touching things and um being a little bit more focused on, you know, that experience and perhaps, you know, having more sales through that from brands. Um, but yeah, it's it's not looking great at the moment. Um, I've talked to a couple of experts and I think they've all said that, you know, depending on how kind of brands approach this, um, there's going to be a big come down with markdowns after Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that, you know, that means that you know, people won't just be looking at Christmas sales, but also, you know, the whole sales scene afterwards. Again, how that lines up with product value, um, I don't know. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely going to be a thing. Yeah, and it seems like um, the same thing that the, the same problems that are, are causing the lower forecast in the UK are kind of the same in the US, which is just higher costs of doing business, meaning like energy prices and stuff, and just lower consumer spending forecasts. Um, in the US, I think it's not quite so dire. Um, Target, which the big US retailer, like halved its fourth quarter forecast. Um, a lot of the same Pro, like citing the same problems, which is just higher costs for them and lower consumer spending. Um, Amazon did the, is expecting the same thing for, again, the exact same reasons. Um, but overall, I, from what I saw, I think the National Retail Federation uh, pr- uh, predicted that U.S. sales uh, around the holiday season, retail sales would still be up, like they'd still increase, but just slower than the last couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I think the U.S. maybe is... a, a going to do a little bit better through the fourth quarter than the UK and Europe. Um, But yeah, I'm not sure. Have you heard anything about other parts of Europe, like Germany or I don't know, France or anything and how, you know, spending there? Is it uh, because there's, do they also have an energy crisis or is that just the UK at the moment? Yeah, so I would say that the energy crisis and, to be honest, the the recession news, which is the main thing driving, um, you know, lower consumer spend in the UK is not quite as bad in Europe. So I would say that, you know, Germany, France, Italy, um, most of those markets might be a bit more stable. Um, But again, Mm -hmm. that consumer spend, even around those um, times, is probably lower than it would be in the UK um, and in the US. So I think that that focus on, um, you know, the UK scene and kind of how those international customers Customers are going to be affecting that. Um, that is still going to be a big worry. I mean, to be honest, the recession news is is kind of the biggest, I think, problem right now, just because of how long term it is um, predicted to be. I think at the moment, the idea is that it's going to be 
two years, um, they will carry on through and affect the markets um, and by extension, you know, brands and retailers. Um, so I think that that is something that is putting a big dampener. I'm wonder- wondering, you know, how that's going to affect not just, you know, Christmas sales, but, you know, what is that whole situation going to be like next year? Um, mm-hmm. Is that going to be putting brands in a bit of a conundrum? Yeah. And one other, you know, one final point I wanted to make is uh, I have a story on Glossy from a couple of weeks ago about um, a lot of resale companies are kind of trying to capitalize on some of the issues we're talking about. Um, the Real Real or Vestiaire Collective or ThreadUp or anything, you know, places like that have pitched themselves pretty hard for like as a holiday alternative. Um, it's a little bit cheaper. There's the whole sustainability kind of angle that they talk about a lot. Um, I feel like the the cheaperness is definitely the more appealing thing around the holidays. But um, I I wonder if the same will hold true for like discount retailers or outlets or places like that. Um, Just, you know, as everyone's kind of budgets are tightening and stuff, that that might be a a strong play there for them too. Um, Okay, Zofia, any last thoughts before we sign off? No, I mean, I think I agree with you on the resale front. I was talking with Fanny from Vestia Collective and um, she definitely said that, you know, the company's growing at such a rate and it's because of that interest in, um, you know, resale. There is a kind of cheaper price point, but it's also, you know, you have all of that same brand value on these platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just the case of, you know, getting something from last season or not. I think that brands really need to realize and capitalize on, you know, how much value they are actually sitting on from past seasons that maybe they can kind of um, try and get out a little bit more over the coming years. Um, just because otherwise, you know, resale platforms like Bestia will definitely be the ones to to win in that case. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Well, let's call it there. Uh, Zofia, thank you for being here. For those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review, um, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, that really helps us out a lot. Uh, also, you should subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you will hear Week in Review episodes every Friday with me and Zofia, sometimes with me and Jill, sometimes with other members of the Glossy team. Um, and also every Wednesday, Jill or I interview some cool industry insider, uh, and that will be in the feed too. So give us a subscribe if you're interested in any of that. And once again, thanks for listening.